With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. It's the Thursday edition, and coming up in the last half of the show, we will have a look at the Prince George Folk Fest Society's uh, presentation of Deket Shun Inli, Music in the Fall, coming up tomorrow and uh, Saturday, available online. Uh, take a look at all the artists that are performing and sort of explain how you can uh, view the concerts taking place right here in Prince George. But first off, here is yesterday morning's front burner from CBC News. Hi, I'm Alameen Abdul Mahmoud, filling in for Jamie Poisson. That's the sound of people getting water last week in one of Canada's capital cities. People filling buckets and jugs from the Sylvia Grinnell River that runs through Iqaluit in Nunavut. Uh, getting fresh water because we were told not to drink the water, tap water at home, and it does smell like diesel. I've been at the river and I've seen people using um, pots and pans. I've seen people use dry bags, rubber main containers, coolers, and um, I've also seen people who had to purchase uh, new gas cans and then fill up the gas cans with water because there was actually no jugs to buy at the store. For days, people in Iqaluit have been posting on social media that something in the water smelled off. But late last week, their fears were confirmed. Fuel had gotten into the water supply. The city has since been under a state of emergency as city officials race to flush the system and get clean water flowing again. But while they do, people are pointing to much bigger problems with a major infrastructure gap between the Arctic and the rest of Canada, a gap that's made worse by climate change. To help us understand how Iqaluit's water crisis started and what we do about it, I'm joined by Jackie McKay and Pauline Pemick. They're both journalists at CBC Nunavut. Hello, Jackie and Pauline. Good morning. Hello. Okay, I want to start with uh, just just checking in on how you're both doing. How have each of you been sort of handling this and doing, what have you been doing for water? Pauline, let's start with you. It's scary. Even though right now our chief medical officer and other professionals in the field are saying it's not harmful to us to wash our hands with the tap water coming out of my kitchen sink but the minute it touches my skin, I just feel like I'm washing my hands with gas in this water and mm. I don't want to do it. And mm. my only option is to go to a friend's house and wash up there. And then in the meantime, I'll just save a bowl of water on the side to wash your hands in. But I've been doing my best to pick up on the daily delivery lab handouts that they're giving through the city at different locations. I go to the river to get water. Uh, I'm doing whatever I can just to take care of me, but um, I'm also trying to do what I can to help others that can't go. So it's just uh, constant, you know, checking in and helping out and making mm -hmm. sure you you don't waste anything. And the good thing about Nunavut and being in this territory is that when things like this do arise, the first approach is 
no matter how upset we are, no matter how pissed off we are, we got to figure this out. We're the ones that live here and we have to deal with it. Jackie, what about you? Doing what I think um, many other people in the city are doing. I'm picking up cases of water bottles at the pickup stations that uh, I use to drink or brush my teeth with and then going to the river and getting that water for cooking, for watering my plants, that that sort of thing and uh, getting by that way. The city's water trucks are being filled with um, river from the Sylvia Grinnell. And then being treated in, if you're on trucked water, it's going to your house. Um, you can take a reusable jug and get it there. You go to the Sylvia Grinnell just yourself and fill it up straight from the river and take it home and boil that. Or there's pickup locations. So you can go and you can pick up a case of water bottles or a jug full of water. Or, and if, for some people who don't have cars, you can't carry a whole, like, a whole bunch of water to your house. There's a lot of people in the community who are stepping up to help and deliver mm-hmm. that water. And I guess uh, we should maybe dive into giving people a context for how we got here. And I want to start, Jackie, with maybe telling people, um, when did people start to figure out that something was wrong with the water? And how did the city react when that started? Well, it was the first few days of October posts started coming up Um Facebook and social media is really active here in Akhaweed. Lots of people are communicating that way. And there was just many posts of people saying, hey, I was just running my taps and it smells like fuel in my kitchen. Or I'm trying to give my baby a bath and my bathroom smells like diesel. Hey, the city of Akhaweed, like, can you tell me if there's anything going on right now? And when those posts started coming out, the city was commenting on them, uh, city councillors, the mayor themselves, saying, we're testing the water and everything looks normal. It's fine. It's safe to drink. It's safe to drink. And then it was about a week of this and more posts coming up from different places in the city. People who lived in, not in uh, one neighborhood, it was pretty random where these posts were coming from. And then the city said, hey, tell us if, you, if you're smelling this in your water, we want to know. The city mm-hmm. said that that led to the investigation where they found what they think the cause is, this water tank um, that is treated water where they opened it up. And there was just heavy um, diesel fuel type smell where it prompted this emergency. You know, I'm I'm also frustrated. I, I was out there saying that the water is is fine. Um, you know, I don't actually go out there and test it. Uh, people were coming with with results saying, you know, it's coming out clean. We've raised this with uh, city officials about people are really frustrated. They brought they came to you. They said that we think something's wrong, and you told us it was okay. The city's response to that has been that they were testing the water, but they were testing for things like bacteria in the water, like common water test. They weren't testing for hydrocarbons until more than a week later when they opened this tank and they they smelt the fuel smell. That in the city said that they were listening to people and that's what led them to open this tank. But I don't know if that's a good enough response for a lot of people. I think it's even now there's some people that may not start drinking the water ever again, even if they mm-hmm. tell us it's safe later. I think there's there's a real sense that uh, the damage is to the trust, right? Like the damage is to can you trust the water? And, you know, the fear doesn't necessarily leave even after the crisis is cleared up and we're far away from even reaching that point. Uh, Jackie, I want to get the idea of where we are in terms of the investigation over what happened. Where are we right now? 
So the tank that we keep talking about where they say the contamination is, there's two tanks where the water from the reservoir goes into and then it is mixed with the treatment to make it safe for people to drink. So the one tank they believe is contaminated, they have isolated and they have drained that. And that is now that water is now sitting in a tanker truck that is going to be remediated. The results of water quality testing show exceedingly high concentrations of various fuel components in the sample collected from that tank. Um, workers have now gone into that tank and they were looking for what they think was a crack from shifting ground due to melting permafrost that allowed the contamination somehow to get in. We, we expect we may find some cracking in the, uh, in the tank somewhere. Um, just with a visual inspection was someone going in there and looking around. They haven't seen a visible crack. They're now looking to find um, if there if there's a crack that isn't visible to to just plain eyes. Um, and they're going through tests now because they still don't know how this happened. We still don't know how it got into the system. And that's mm. kind of where we are for trying to to figure that out. Um, the what the water system itself in the city, uh, they're flushing it. So they're running water just through out onto the street. If you go by um, the airport or different places in Akaluit right now, there is fire hydrants that are just spewing out water. And that's part of the flushing system. And that mm. was supposed to be over by now, but it's actually been three days they've been doing that. On 93.1 CFIS-FM, that is the first part of yesterday morning's front burner from CBC News. We'll have part two in a moment here on After 9. Join me, Michael Big Easy Cast, at the Blues Roadhouse Saturdays from 2 to 4 p.m. We explore and enjoy the blues from its 12-bar birth in the Mississippi Delta to its recent worldwide renaissance. Not only will we be moved by the music, I will share the histories of the songs and the men and women that, as B.B. King put it, paid their dues, laying down the foundation for our classic rock and modern-day beats. That's the Blues Roadhouse, Saturdays from 2 to 4 p.m., right here on your community radio station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Crossing one major street in Prince George is safer now thanks to two new crosswalk upgrades. City crews have installed overhead flashing beacon systems on 15th at the Irwin and Allward Street intersections. The brightly flashing signs alert motorists to slow down and yield for crossing pedestrians, including students, visitors to Freeman Park and Studio 2880, hospital patients and workers, and nearby residents. The City of Prince George thanks motorists for their patience during these important traffic safety enhancements and for driving cautiously around road crews. The city of Prince George is again organizing an event to give local entrepreneurs the opportunity to pitch their best laid business plans to local business leaders. This year's Titan's Den, October 28th and 29th, will follow required COVID-19 protocols. Residents interested in participating in the Titan's Den are asked to contact Alan Strowett at the city of Prince George by emailing alan.strowett at princegeorge.ca or by calling 250-561-7582. Forecast from Environment Canada. Fog this morning, then sunny this afternoon, with winds from the southeast at 20 gusting to 40, a high of 12. Tonight, a few clouds, gusting southeast winds continuing, a low of 6. For Friday, a mix of sun and cloud, with gusting southeast winds becoming light near noon and a high of 13. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. 
As promised, here is the second segment from yesterday morning's front burner from CBC News. I think uh, the question that a lot of people have is how could the water infrastructure in in one of Canada's capital cities be so fragile that something like this could happen? Um, and last year, the Nunavut Tungavik Incorporated, the group that represents Inuit covered by the Nunavut Agreement, they released a 259-page document on the huge infrastructure gap that this ter- the, the territory has with the rest of the country. Pauline, I'm wondering, what does that gap look like compared with the South? When it comes to infrastructure specifically, I'll give an example of just, you know, lack of housing. We have Mm. overcrowded housing here. I know it's been an issue across the country, uh, recently arising more and more. But in Nunavut, we've never, ever, ever had enough houses. We've never had enough schools. We've never had enough daycares. We don't have the infrastructure for health care, even to go to a dentist. So I could, the list can go on. Even just looking at the pictures, you know, I don't need to say a lot. And if people get a chance to take a look at how our communities are built, um, yeah, the priorities in anything, for example, like this uh, port, the seaport that was being built here is beneficial to the territory. It -hmm. also benefits, you know, companies that come from the south and shipping routes, it you know, benefits international companies as well. But we also need to be able to build that kind of infrastructure that where even if it doesn't help the rest of the world, we still need it for us. And I don't know how to validate or somehow explain that our mm. lives are just as important as lives over there. It's, uh, you know, in addition to all of the problems that that infrastructure gap causes, um, it's not hard to see, Jackie, how that gap would mean that people have to do things that end up being riskier for the environment. Like if you don't have a wind power electrical grid, you have to bring more diesel in from a sea lift. Um, you, Jackie, you've heard from the mayor about what he thinks is at the root of this problem. It's most likely caused by uh, climate change and the, the, ground, the ground shifting and uh, maybe the tank getting um, uh, cracked. And you've reported that problems with the city's water supply have been linked to climate change for years. So can you tell me about that? So the city has been in a water crisis for many years, and a lot of that has to do with climate change. There's kind of two folds of what's going on. First of all is changing um, precipitation and snowfall. So the quantity of water we are able to get in our reservoir, we're not actually able to store enough water for everybody we need to provide for. And so we have a supplementary pumping program. There's a river just behind our uh, reservoir, which is like a big open lake. You can see it. It's right behind the city. So we have to fill that up every single summer to be able to have enough quantity of water to get through the winter. But Mm -hmm. we lose a lot of our water to breaking pipes. So our water infrastructure, as like Pauline pointed out, is is really old. And so the ground shifts because of melting permafrost and then those pipes break. And you can see sometimes in Akaluit there'll be those breaks and there'll be water flowing down the street and the city has to go and repair it. And we lose a ton of water to those leaks. So the city is trying to catch up on fixing those pipes and coming up with better solutions that when the ground shifts as it is with climate change, that we're not losing 
all of our water to to those pipe breaks, and we still have to we have to fix that, and we have to fix that very soon. We're coming close to a crisis where we may not even have enough water to uh, sustain our city, and and that has a rolling impact. If we don't have running water uh, going through our pipes, our systems, and our in ground and in our homes, then what happens is when when the temperature drops and the water freezes because it's not running. The water expands as it freezes and it bursts the pipes. And so the city is actually under, um, they have to find a new water source, um, in the next couple of years and the, the federal government will, will need to step in and pay for that. We're actually looking at the Sylvia Grinnell River that we're currently using to get all our fresh water as pos- a possibility for our new water supply because we have to expand our reservoir, and we also just have to replace all the water infrastructure in our city. So mm. if we need new houses, but we also need to be able to have enough water for for those houses and get water there in a way that we're not losing we're not losing it to to all these breaks. And Pauline, like that's not even um, the only way that climate change is hitting people really hard in the north. Can you tell us a little bit more about how these changes, changes like the shifting permafrost or the changing water levels, end up impacting people who live in Nunavut? It's really hard to explain in a short format, but as winter comes, the river will freeze up. The sea ice will eventually freeze up, but that's not safe anymore either. We can't travel over the ice to reach certain lakes. We could have to go and drill holes on our own like we could as Inuit or Nunavut. Jackie has a snowmobile. She could go with her friends and go get water. But because of climate change, it's dangerous for us to travel on the sea ice and we could easily fall through. We rely so much on the nuna, the berries we eat, the water we drink, the meat we bring home, the fish. It's it's a whole cycle. And if one is ruined or not protected and maintained, then everything it's good. It's a whole domino effect. There's a there's a real sense that we are getting all those warnings, um, and we are just sort of beginning to understand that nearly every story we cover ends up being at the core of it, a climate story. Uh, Jackie, you mentioned earlier that, you know, climate change is leading to less precipitation. Um, so it's not just infrastructure problems. It's just literally less clean water that's available. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about how the response to this is also connected to climate change. Um, because I understand that some people are worried that responding to this particular water crisis is actually going to end up creating more environmental problems in Iqaluit. Can you tell us about that vicious cycle, Jackie? So I think the big thing everybody's thinking about is their garbage cans fill up with water bottles is we can't recycle in Nunavut. It's just not possible. We don't have the facilities to do it. So we're flying in thousands of water bottles every single day, and we have to do that. So what are we going to do with all of those water bottles? Right now, the um, Arctic Co-op has volunteered for sea cans, and they're looking at ways for us to be able to send those bottles down south on a ship next summer to be able to be recycled. They're looking at setting up bins around the city so we can drop off our water bottles there. But 
sending those water bottles south somehow for hopefully somebody to step up and deal with and take to a recycling center is our only way to deal with them or else they're going to end up in Akaluit's landfill. You could probably build a ship with the water bottles that we're going to go through. <laughs> Just a giant raft will send them all down. <laughs> It'll slow Can down. We use recycle, right? <laughs> Honestly, I can't even picture how many water bottles are in town right now. I want to shift gears to talk about federal politicians for a moment, Pauline. I am sincerely committed to this renewed relationship, and we will honor our promises. We can't uh, have a country that is fair if everyone doesn't have access to clean drinking water, and that's a problem we need to fix. This water crisis is, you know, it's not the only one in Nunavut. Um, the territory is often dealing with boil water advisories. And for someone like me in Toronto, you know, I think this crisis might be confusing, particularly when I hear Prime Minister Justin Trudeau talk about how he's lifted 118 long-term drinking advisories in Indigenous communities. Do you think there's a gap between what federal politicians are saying and what they're doing? We need to educate Canadians so that they know the difference. I don't know how we're going to do that. And I guess by talking about it here with Jackie and I and yourself is is a, a, a baby step. But for anyone to say that whether, you know, leaders or politicians, for them to say that they resolved this many water issues, but not to acknowledge that there is a severe crisis happening here in Iqaluit is not right. It should be acknowledged. The difference should, you know, be explained. The thing for me is we need to identify for the North what works for the North versus what might be working for Indigenous people in the South mm -hmm. because the South is built differently and it's a different culture. And when it comes to Arctic infrastructure and development here and issues and crisis here, is very different, very, very different from what, how it would be dealt with in the South, whether we're Indigenous or not. I'd say it's worth noting that Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller has said that ISC, that's Indigenous Services Canada, is offering Nunavut its full support in restoring clean, safe, and reliable drinking water. And Northern Affairs Minister Dan Vandal said the federal government is working with the city to get safe drinking water back. Jackie, what needs to happen at a systemic level for this water supply to be fixed in a more permanent way, both in Iqaluit and also elsewhere in the territory? We need the federal government to step up and provide the money and the help to create new infrastructure for water treatment in the territory. There's there's many communities in Nunavut that need um, new water treatment plants besides Iqaluit, but once the situation in Akaluit is dealt with and the contamination is out of the water and we can drink the tap water again, we're still, every single year, we're still going to be dangerously close to another water emergency for not having enough potable water. We are a capital city in Canada that has been in a water emergency for several years. We need all of our water infrastructure essentially rebuilt so it can sustain our growing population and that we have reliable sources of water. We need a bigger reservoir and we need pipes that don't break. And that's going to take time and it's going to take money. But if 
we are going to be a capital city in Canada, we should be able to rely on the water coming out of our taps. Jackie, Pauline, thank you so much for taking the time to give us an overview of what's going on in Iqaluit. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you for taking the time. Before we let you go today, a Brazilian Senate inquiry may recommend that the country's president face murder charges over how he handled COVID-19. Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro has downplayed the pandemic, refused to issue national lockdowns, and made fun of people who wear masks. 603,000 people have died in Brazil of the disease. The draft Senate report can still be changed before it gets voted on next week. On 93.1 CFIS-FM, that is yesterday morning's Frontburner from CBC News. Frontburner can also be heard on the CBC Listen app or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Be sure to be listening tonight at, uh, well, just around 11 as we'll have today's Frontburner from CBC News all about a humanitarian catastrophe which looms over Afghanistan. When After 9 returns, we'll be talking about the Deket Shun Inli, Music in the Fall, put on by the Prince George Folk Fest Society, which is in Prince George tomorrow and Saturday. Hope Air needs your help. Hope Air helps families in financial need reach specialized hospital care. Hope Air's goal is to reach $1.5 million this fall to fund accommodations and more than 5,000 flights for families requiring their help. To donate or for more information, visit hopeair.ca. Healthcare is universal, but access is not. So consider a donation today. Your generosity will help bridge the gap at hopeair.ca. Caregivers with strollers and travelers using mobile devices will be happy to learn of the 24 new accessibility ramps across five sidewalk projects completed this year in Prince George. Sidewalk improvements were finished on Kelly Road, 20th Avenue, Simon Fraser Avenue, Aspica Boulevard, and Demano Boulevard. A map of all road and sidewalk rehabilitation projects completed this year is available through the news link at princegeorge.ca. More information on city infrastructure work is available at princegeorge.ca slash infrastructure. Choose to Move is back. Choose to Move is a free program that supports seniors to become and stay active. Develop a personal action plan to help meet your goals. Choose activities you like. Receive one-on-one coaching and group support and learn new ways to live a healthier, more active life. Plus, you'll get a three-month YMCA membership. Full details are available at choosetomove.ca. Choose to Move, brought to you by the Active Aging Society, Province of British Columbia, and YMCA. Tuesdays at choosetomove.ca. Prince George City Council has proclaimed October as Healthcare Month and COVID-19 Vaccination Month to honor healthcare workers and encourage citizens to be vaccinated. Members of council are urging residents to support doctors, nurses, and support staff in our local healthcare facilities and to recognize their ongoing commitment in fighting the COVID-19 pandemic. Council also encourages all residents to get vaccinated. This proclamation is available through the City Hall link at princegeorge.ca. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM.
And the last half hour here, we're going to chat a little bit about the uh, Prince George Folk Fest Society. They're presenting Deket Shun Inli. It's music in the fall tomorrow and Saturday. <clears throat> the event is actually taking place um, mostly at Uda Duna Bayo Conference Center, corner of 3rd and Vancouver Street. Uh, but it's it's more than just uh, concerts. Uh, in fact, uh, we'll uh, go through the lineup here for you. Uh, the lineup and all the information you need for the next two days is available at the uh, website coldsnapfestival.com. And it actually uh, gets underway tomorrow at 11 with a hip-hop songwriting workshop and the artist Equal, or Equal, I should say, should uh, will be hosting that. Uh, two o'clock tomorrow afternoon will be a fiddle workshop being put on by Wesley <coughs> Wesley Hardesty, and uh, they're actually going to do that at the Amanika Art Center. And you can uh, go on to the Cold Snap Music Festival website, and there's a link where you can go to uh, get tickets for that if you want to take in that workshop. And then tomorrow evening, they will finish off with the concert. Tomorrow evening at 7, uh, Darlene McIntosh, who I believe is a local artist. I haven't tracked down information on her. Followed by Thundering Eagles, uh, then uh, Wesley Hardesty, and Equal will finish off the uh, Friday evening concert. Saturday, the concert uh, is the basically the only thing happening for the event is the evening concert. And again, Darlene McIntosh will open, followed by the Cashton Drummers, uh, local artists uh, Araya and Zoe Spooner, uh, local artist Saltwater Hank, and then the closing act for Saturday evening will be Twin Flames. Now, uh, there's limited seating for the concerts themselves, and I understand it's it's already designated who's going to be attending as the audience, but if you go to the coldsnapfestival.com website uh, tomorrow evening and Saturday evening, 7 o'clock, they'll have a link there where the, it'll be live streamed, so you just pop on, click it, and sit back and enjoy. So what we're going to do for the next half hour is we're going to have some songs from some of the artists, but we'll also talk a little bit, uh, I'll just sort of fill in some details about the uh, some of the artists that are performing. And one that I wasn't aware of, uh, Araya and Zoe Spooner, uh, they are actually uh, 15-year-old twins, born and raised in the beautiful ancestral lands of the Clayton Tanay. Uh, they're of the Gitskan uh, tribe and they are Laxiel clan which is frog mm-hmm. my good Stan, my good friend Steve is actually of the frog clan so I should ask him about them uh, and what else do we have here uh, they naturally started singing on their own at the age of two they won their first talent show at age three yeah, uh, when they won uh, the crowd over by singing George Strait's song, Troubadour. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, they're mostly self-taught, but have also taken voice lessons with local musician Genevieve Tucker. Uh, they've performed at local schools, and in March of, uh, of this year, they actually recorded their first music video, Mother Earth, with the support of Seifer Community Radio up at UNBC. 
Uh, I'm going to have to get a hold of Ian and see if we can track that down because mm-hmm. I couldn't find it uh, on YouTube at all. Uh, during the spring break this year, they were selected to fly to Ottawa to write and record a song with Shawnee Kish at the National Arts Centre. And when they're not playing volleyball or ringette, they like to sing and write new songs because, uh, well, music is their medicine. Wow. So they will be on stage, I said, what, Friday? Uh, no, they'll be in the, uh, the Saturday concert, uh, along with, uh, another local artist, Saltwater Hank. We won't talk a lot about Saltwater Hank because I think most people are aware of, uh, his abilities and his knowledge and, uh, he'll put on a great show, n- uh, no doubt. Uh, one artist most people probably might not be, uh, aware of is Wesley Hardesty. And he is, uh, a vibrant emerging fiddler composer and collaborator from the Northwest Territories, oh. which is probably why we haven't heard of him. Really? Yeah. Uh, he's performed nationally and internationally everywhere from Seattle to uh, Equaliet. Is that how it's pronounced? Equulet? No, I-Q-A-L-U-I-T. Equaliet. I don't know. Anyway, he has uh, played on folk festivals, fiddle festivals, indigenous-focused performances, uh, including multiple tours of the Northwest Territories as a feature performer and supporting artist, uh, Canada scene and northern scene in Ottawa, the 2010 Vancouver Olympics. Mm. He was part of that. Uh, has two original albums and multiple commissions. He has been part of uh, fiddle uh, fiddling training programs as a student and now as a teacher has attended the Gulf Island School of Performing Arts and is currently in the NACC Mentorship Program, being mentored by acclaimed violinist, producer, composer Jesse Zubot. Uh, Wesley is uh, sought after as a collaborator with fiddlers, singer-songwriters, and classical ensembles. Uh, he values community connections and has it a priority to perform for elders and be a leader in youth mentorship from the training programs that he went through as a student. Notably, he is an artistic ambassador for the Downey Wenjack Fund. Hmm. So our first song of the half hour is from Wesley Hardesty, and I believe he, his new album, I believe he wrote all the songs on it. So this is uh, Missing Home from his album, Hitting Home. <laughs> Oh, 
Kind of a haunting song. Very much so. Missing home very much gives you that, uh, you know, why am I stuck here kind of feel. Uh, that's uh, one of the tracks from his new album, Hitting Home. And uh, some of the other tracks are a little more traditional fiddle style, but that one uh, sh- kind of shows his diversity of... Well, it of... sounded so way out there, all alone. Oh, yeah, exactly. So he will be doing, uh, be part of the concert on uh, tomorrow evening, 7 o'clock. Uh, he'll be the second to last act. And he's also, as mentioned, uh, well, I should mention his name, uh, Wesley Hardesty. He will also be doing a fiddle workshop uh, tomorrow afternoon, 2 o'clock. And the link to uh, sign up for that workshop or get tickets for that workshop, which will be taking place at the uh, Amanika Art Center, you can find the link on the coldsnapfestival.com website. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the uh, closing act for tomorrow night's uh, concert. Uh, An artist named, well, well, she's a hip-hop artist, and she goes by the name of Equal. That's coming up in a moment here on After 9. Standing up against racism is an ongoing battle. How will you help? I will listen to and learn from people who don't look like me. I commit to find the strength to work on my own implicit biases, to better educate myself, and to encourage those around me to do the same. I will listen actively and respectfully. This message is brought to you by the Canadian Anti-Racism Youth Coalition. Visit caryc.ca for more information about how you can stand up and speak out. The Regional District of Fraser Fort George is warning the public about a current telephone scam. Note that the Regional District never asks for social insurance or credit card numbers by phone. If you receive a call, text, or email asking for this information, please report the incident to the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre. If you receive a call from the Regional District that you're unsure of, hang up, call their main office at 250-960-4400 and ask to be directed to the appropriate department. The Immigrant and Multicultural Services Society of Prince George is presenting the Northern Badminton Smash Saturday and Sunday. This two-day tournament is open to migrant workers and international students free of charge, but spots are limited. Registration forms can be found on the Society's website, imss.ca. You can also register by email imss.pg at imss.ca or by phone at 250-562-2900. The IMSS Northern Badminton Smash, Saturday and Sunday at CNC. Forecast from Environment Canada. Fog this morning, then sunny this afternoon, with winds from the southeast at 20 gusting to 40, a high of 12. Tonight, a few clouds, gusting southeast winds continuing, a low of 6. For Friday, a mix of sun and cloud, with gusting southeast winds becoming light near noon and a high of 13. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. And as mentioned, we'll talk a little bit about uh, one of the headlining performers, the uh, lady that will headline tomorrow's concert at Deket Shun Inli, Music in the Fall. Uh, She goes by the name of Equal. And uh, in her world, mothering music and academics are chaotically coordinated into a delicate balance. As a well-known and dedicated hip-hop MC, Equal astounds her listeners with honest, direct, and revolutionary words that come from places both original and unknown and always groundbreaking. As a member of uh, Muscaday First Nation, 
she holds a lifelong, lifelong background of Plains Cree indigenous music and culture and invites the audience into a space of experimental hip-hop unique to her land and place while respecting the origins of hip-hop. And uh, not only will she be the headliner tomorrow evening for the concert that starts at 7, uh, she will also be conducting a hip-hop songwriting workshop uh, tomorrow morning at 11. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, there's no details on how to get involved with that, but I'm sure if you contact someone through the coldsnapfestival.com uh, website, uh, they would be able to tell you more about that. So let's uh, check out one of her tracks. This is Equal and a song called Too Sick on After Nine. Eyes, a warrior sat on the earth with a smile. The rays reflected his frame, shadowing his profile. I was prepared to share my life with his mind and ability. The forest plains, fires all structured in community. The roles to raise a family traditionally. Now in 2004, what remains are the traces of that history. Blind as his compliments and commitments to me rolled off his tongue. My perfection was the foundation of his words. I was the one. His past was filled with loneliness and misery. Years of violence and neglect. Hammer this nail into my head Living in the cost of a culture lost Some say I'm better off dead yeah. Too sick to stop the cycle Hammer this nail into my head Living in the cost of a culture lost Some say I'm better off dead I'm better off dead Said he needed to relax, didn't always want to think I'll admit, I was part of it, it made him happy Brought us closer, besides, I'm not as pretty Or as confident a person when I'm sober Plus, my connections in the world threatened him Didn't trust guys, said they're all into the medicine But the parties were full of the types he despised So the negative attention when he looked into my eyes I guess I presented it to everyone with slutty Intentions and I sure as hell pay for it Seconds after it was mentioned The glass hit my lip, fell the floor as I slipped Continue to remind you of 
sick to stop the cycle, hammer this nail into my head. Living in the cost of a culture lost, some say I'm better off dead. There you go. Equal and too sick, and as mentioned. Equal will be hosting a hip-hop songwriting workshop tomorrow morning at 11 and then uh, headlining tomorrow evening's concert, which starts at 7 uh, through coldsnapfestival.com. Great thing about uh, her as an, a hip-hop artist, I downloaded three different songs mm-hmm. and uh, I made sure I listened to each song to be careful because a lot of times Content. with 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 hip hop or rap you uh, get the f bomb gets dropped but no not on none of the songs that, that was she actually a good song oh yeah very very good and got her message across and you know mm-hmm. very much uh, a spokesperson for for her uh, for indigenous peoples and for it's her situation that up for four and a half minutes plus well it's in studio so who, who knows how many yeah. takes it took okay quick break and when we come back we'll uh, talk a bit about the uh, headlining artist for the saturday night concert and uh, a few other things when we wrap up here on after nine The B.C. Chamber of Commerce's purpose is to know what's on B.C.'s mind. To that end, businesses across the province are asked to take the 2021 Collective Perspective Survey. Results from the survey will identify evolving trends, brief government on the business climate, and inform the Chamber's advocacy efforts. For more information or to access the survey, visit the links page at cfisfm.ca. The 2021 Collective Perspective Survey from the B.C. Chamber of Commerce is available until 4 p.m. November the 4th. Theatre Northwest is presenting a series of stage readings over the next few months, all of them at Theatre Northwest on Achaco Road. Friday and Saturday, Sandra Claremont will be presenting Waiting for the Parade, a play by John Murrow. Shows both evenings start at 7. Tickets for John Murrell's Waiting for the Parade, as presented by Sandra Claremont, are available at tickets.theaternorthwest.com. Waiting for the Parade, Friday and Saturday at Theatre Northwest in the Park Hill Centre. The city of Prince George has made changes to its services in response to recent public health orders. Aquafit classes at the Prince George Aquatic Centre are cancelled. The number of participants allowed in CN Centre for the public walking program has been reduced to 50, and user groups such as the Prince George Cougars are required to have a COVID-19 safety plan in place with capacity limited to 50%. More information about COVID-19 restrictions on city operations and services is available at princegeorge.ca slash COVID-19. Since only about 9% of plastic is properly recycled in Canada, it's up to everyone to reduce our consumption of plastic in our everyday lives to truly make a difference. Take action and become plastic-wise today. Complete the OceanWise Household Plastic Challenge at ocean.org and become familiar with the composting and recycling rules of our community. Also follow the OceanWise Great Canadian Shoreline Cleanup and OceanWise Plastic Laboratory online to learn more. Step up and do your part during Waste Reduction Week through Sunday. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. And the final artist we'll talk about today is Twin Flames, multi-award winning 
uh, duo that pushes the boundaries of contemporary folk with indigenous Inuit-influenced songs that incorporate both Western and traditional instruments. Songs are written in Inuitatuk. In, in, Anyway, Inuit, the Inuit, Inuit. language. There you go. <laughs> English and French. Uh, audiences love discovering Twin Flames cultures, harmonies, and powerful songwriting. Uh, described as a musical journey which transcends cultural boundaries and inspires unity. Mm-hmm. And they will be headlining uh, the Saturday night show. A uh, cool thing about the concerts is you get such a diverse, uh, like tomorrow night, you have Wesley Hardesty, fiddle music, mm-hmm. followed by equal hip-hop music, right? Uh, on Saturday, you have uh, Saltwater Hank, who's very uh, very much a traditional folk-style artist, followed by Twin Flames, a more modern contemporary folk sound. So let's listen to Shadows from Twin Flames and get a sense of uh, what they do here on After Nine. to get me to get me easy to look down and judge me but you don't really know me that's why I never let you in and I'm tired of drowning always on my own you send me a at my doorstep like a moth to flame so sick and tired of feeling my only strength is weakness can't seem to know the pain and the water's rising calling out for
from Twin Flames here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. They are part of the uh, the big festival tomorrow, and well, actually uh, they'll be performing on Saturday. It's called Daket Shun Inli, and uh, you'll be able to stream the concerts 7 o'clock tomorrow and Saturday through coldsnapfestival.com. Uh, just to run down the um, schedule, uh, tomorrow there's going to be a workshop with the hip-hop artist Equal at 11, a fiddle workshop with Wesley Hardesty, and that is 2 o'clock. The concert tomorrow evening starts at 7 with Darlene McIntosh, followed by Thundering Eagles, Wesley Hardesty, and Equal. Saturday's concert has, uh, again, 7 o'clock start with Darlene McIntosh, followed by the Cashton Drummers, Area and Zoe Spooner, Saltwater Hank, and Twin Flames. You can check it out online at coldstampfestival.com. That'll wrap it for today's edition of After 9. Uh, be sure to tune in tomorrow when we will have the uh, Friday morning edition of Front Burner followed by the Friday panel. After 9 is a daily presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Reg Fair, and Nathan Gita. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. Owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society, you're listening to cfis FM Prince George.